I, uh, I wish, part of me wishes that I had a fun word today, but I don't. Uh, I wish I had a word that I was going to send you away with some goosebumps and feel good, but I don't, I don't have that for you today. Um, but what I do have is, what I do have is a fulfillment of a promise that I will always bring the word of the Lord, which is the full, complete truth. It's not partial truth. It's not some of the truth, but it's the whole truth. And, um, and I want you to know today, some of you, I, I believe, are here and, you know, maybe you weren't thinking of coming today or you, you're visiting today or you're just like, okay, we said we go to church. It's not a mistake that you're here this morning. And, uh, and all of you, it's not a mistake that you're, you're here this morning. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to touch some places in all of our lives, in all of our lives uh, today. This week has been uh, really difficult getting to this place. Uh, and a lot of that for me is because, uh, guys, I have to walk through this stuff before I present it to you. And that's not fun. Uh, that's not, that's not, that's not fun. And, and, you know, on one hand, I don't like it. <laughs> on the other hand, I understand that how are you going to speak with something with some degree of authority if you're not walking through it first? And, uh, and, you know, when we get up here and we speak, I want you to know it's not the person up here speaking to you to change your life. We are all in this journey together. We are all in this together trying to become more and more like Christ. And guys, I have not arrived. I have not arrived. I do not look like Christ. There are aspects of my life, but I am still growing, and I believe that you're growing as well. Don't we want to look like Jesus Christ? Don't we want our lives to model after Jesus Christ? Now, here's the, here's the kicker. There are areas in our life that we're in control of that are a little bit easier for us, that we probably look like Christ in because they're not things that we struggle with. But guys, I have to tell you that there are probably areas in your life and in my life that we do struggle with, the things that are buried under the rug, those deep places that we don't want anybody to see. And those are the places that the Holy Spirit is after. Those are the places that he wants to illuminate in our lives. And he wants to, he doesn't want to illuminate, I don't believe he wants to illuminate those places so that he can shame you. He wants to illuminate those places so he can set you free. So we can set you free. And there is freedom to be had in the house today if you will open up your heart and receive what the Holy Spirit has for us. Can we turn up the lights in the house just a notch? I like to see people if they're making faces at me or not. I, I, uh, and I can't really see everybody real well. Did we? Okay. We are in 1 John, we're in our, our fifth week of the series, and um, if you've been tracking with us, you will uh, notice that this is the last verse in, in chapter five, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Little children, guard yourself from idols. Guard yourself from idols. And so, I believe that today's word is kind of like medicine, uh, when you take it, it doesn't taste very good going down, but, uh, but once you get it in there and you digest it, you start to, it starts to make things better, okay? And so are you willing to take some medicine from the Holy Spirit today, all right? Uh, I'm going to start today by piggybacking off of something that Pastor Ronnie said last week that has just resonated with me and just has stuck with me, and I, and I love how the Holy Spirit just really puts things uh, in perspective and puts things together. 
But uh, at the beginning of uh, Pastor Ronnie's message last week, he said that we are, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, we are a culture that succumb to this idea or notion that it doesn't happen here or doesn't happen to me. That doesn't happen to me. And I want to tell you guys, I had multiple experiences this week where that doesn't happen to me, and it did. Last Saturday, I lost my wallet. Gone. We looked everywhere. We've looked at the house. We looked here at the church. I had to send off for new credit cards, driver's license, go through the whole thing. Guys, that doesn't happen to me. That type of thing doesn't happen to me. I went to the doctor's uh, office uh, a couple weeks ago, just got the lab reports back, and I got some bad test results. Guys, that, that doesn't happen to me. That happens to other people. That doesn't, that doesn't happen to me. I was driving down uh, I-40 to East Tennessee this week, and I was looking at the billboards along I-40, and as I was looking at these letters, some, there was some blurry like type blobs that were on there that led me to believe I'm going to have to go get my eyes checked. Guys, that happens to old people. That does not happen to me. This notion of that doesn't happen to me isn't just in those catastrophic events of life. They are also in these small day-to-day things where we can look up and we think that these types of things don't happen to us. But today, as as a catalyst from this point, I want you to understand that sometimes we bring that mentality into the gathering on Sunday and we frame it in a way that word wasn't really for me. That, that that word really wasn't something that I needed or I needed to grapple with. I'm good in that department. I'm good in that area. Let's move on. That's something for, for them. And I'm here to tell you today that the word today is for you. The word today is for you. And today we are talking about idolatry. We're talking about idolatry Now, I don't want to talk about idolatry, but I feel like I'm led to talk about idolatry today. And here's the reason why I don't want to talk about it, because I have idols in my life. I have have areas in my life that God is illuminating. And one of the idols, one of the idols I carry around with me every single day. And he's illuminating these places in my life that I, that I would have to tie to. Now, what I want to do is I want to make an excuse or I want to soften it. Or I want to call it something that it's not really. But God is not, God's wanting to clarify today. He's wanting us to, to really understand what it is and, and, what it's, and what it's not. And so if you've been reading, um, if you've been reading along with us in the High Five Challenge, you will, uh, you will notice that as you've read, there's certainly some, um, there's certainly some, some, some type of woven point and, and direction that, that John is given in, in the letter as you read. It's a lot about light and love, and you see this, and you get to chapter five, and you read, and it's more of some of the same things that he's saying throughout, uh, throughout the chapter, but then you get to that last verse, and you kind of go, well, that's interesting. Anybody? Was anybody like that? That's, that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like roses are red, violets are blue, you are so great, I want some chicken. Where, where'd that come from, right? You know, where'd that come from? 
And so you look at this and you have a tendency to look at that and think that that must be misplaced or, or, or what, what my mind does when I've read it prior to this series is, okay, stay away from idols and I move on. I don't even try to digest it. You know, it's just, this doesn't seem connected, but I would like to submit to you today that I don't believe that it's disconnected to the rest of the letter. I don't believe that it's disconnected. It's more like somebody, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they go around the mountain a hundred times to finally get to the point? Uh, I think it's more in line with that. Now, I'm not su- suggesting that the overarching point of John's letter is idolatry, but it's a significant point. It's a significant point. We see other portions. First John 2, he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. In 1 John 3, do not be deceived by your flesh. Flee from sin. 1 John 4, test the spirits because some of them are from the devil. So there is this roundabout, not so direct way that John has woven this point into his letter prior to this point. But you know what? I'm just a dumb enough sheep that I need somebody to come right out and say, stay away from idols. Stay away from idols. And John is writing this to a church who has been introduced to a lot of heretical preaching and teaching that pulls them away from sound doctrine, from the truth of the gospel. Now, I know that we are not around anybody in this culture that tries to pull us away from the gospel. But he's introducing this letter And he sends it to these churches and he ends chapter five with little children. Guard yourself from idols. Guard yourself from anything that takes your focus away from God. That was not supposed to go like that, but there it is. Idolatry is anything that takes your focus away from God. Primarily your worship focus. The first of the 10 commandments is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Our God is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. Who is he jealous for? He's jealous for you. He's jealous for you. Now, John, in his writing here, he is not hypocritical. Have you ever had somebody, and I may, man, I may be guilty of this sometimes. Have you ever anybody present something to you or write something to you that they themselves are not practicing? You ever have that? John's not hypocritical in his writing here. I want you to understand that this stark message at the very end of John chapter five, first John chapter five, when he says, do not or I'm sorry, guard yourself from idols, is introduced from these two words, little children, dear children. And all throughout his letter, seven times, in fact, John uses these words, little children, dear children. Because one of the overarching themes of John's letter is love, God is light, God is love, and how we are to love one another. And so in God's infinite mercy and his infinite grace, he approaches us and says, little children, little children, guard yourself from idols. Guard yourself from idols. And I love how it's packaged in this letter, all of these points. Um, 
are packaged in, in, this, in, this, in this letter. Yesterday, I was watching, uh, I was watching a presentation uh, about raising kids. And uh, the man was up there talking, and he was, he was talking about kids who, uh, who have parents who expect their kids to be well-behaved. Do you know that kid, the reality is, is that kids are not actually supposed to be well-behaved? Did you know that? That's our expectation as parents and adults But innately, in a way a child is wired, they are not wired to be well-behaved. Children are supposed to explore the boundaries and find for themselves where the boundaries are, and they need to be regulated, and they need to learn how to, to cope and how to, how, to, how to regulate themselves in the moment of breakdown and trauma. So when a kid goes nuts and just loses all of their beans, have you ever had that happen, parents? They just go, you know, the first thing that I want to do is stop that right now. Stop that right now. But what really a child needs is to be held and said, breathe, breathe, because they need to feel. Children need to feel. And when we stop that right now, we stop them from the ability to feel. Do you know Do you know that the feeling that they are going through is a direct result of the consequence of the choice they made? When we feel something that hurts or we feel something bad or when we feel something good or when we feel something delightful, those feelings are are in sequence, are a part of the consequence of choices that we've made. Consequence, C-O-N, the prefix there is with, sequence. A consequence is simply with the sequence of events. With the sequence of events. And so little children, little children, God is not going to rob you from feeling the consequences of your choices. God is not going to rob you from feeling the consequences of your choices because when you feel the consequence of your choice that you've made, then you will make a decision at that moment. I like how I feel here. I'm going to stay. Or I don't like how this feels. I'm going to make a change. And I wonder how many of us have set up things in our lives, idols in our lives, who have, that have made us feel a certain way, that have consequences attached to it, and that feeling needs to, needs to be able to allow itself to work its way through us so that we can make a change. So that we can make a change. One of the worst things that we have in our vocabulary, especially as Christian believers, is this. I don't want them to feel. I, 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 I just don't want them to feel. I don't want them to feel this. I don't, I don't really want them to feel. I don't want them. Guys, people have to work through their hurt and their pain. We have to work through hard times because hard times make us stronger. They teach us things. We are educated, and you wonder why people end up going around the mountain again and again and again and again. It's because we don't allow ourselves to feel. We don't allow ourselves 
to feel. Can you give me the spotlight here? There are a myriad of different types of idolatry, especially with the definition of anything that takes your focus from God. But I believe that the most dangerous idol in any one of our lives is this person right here. I hope this is going to stay. The most dangerous idol is worshiping at the shrine of self. The most dangerous idol in our life is putting ourselves at the center and filtering everything through our lens. When we do that, we take on responsibility that we're not supposed to take on. We take on choices. We take on other people's baggage. We do all types of things in the light of idolizing ourselves. And when we idolize ourselves and when we worship ourselves, we cannot then also worship the Lord fully. God is not interested in sharing the spotlight with you. He is not interesting, interested in sharing the spotlight of the things you bring in your life with you. You shall have no other gods before me. There is no exception in that. It wasn't, you shall have no other gods, but, you know, except for that one over there. I'm, I'm a jealous God sometimes, you know, but I don't, James, I don't want you to feel. So, you know, I'm only jealous when you're okay. No. He's a jealous God. So there are three things, I believe, there, there are more than three things, but three things I want to look at today that idolatry does. The first one is this. Idolatry distorts your identity. Idolatry distorts your identity. If we look over at Genesis chapter three, and if you have your word, you can go there with me. At the fall... This is what it reads. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Listen to this. His reply, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let me ask you a question. At that moment in time before the fall, were Adam and Eve, were the man and woman like God before the fall? So the deceiver comes in and says, For God knows that when you will eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Do you notice that Adam names Eve after the fall in chapter four? The fall has happened and Adam assigns Eve an identity after the fall. Here's my point. Your identity comes from God. 
And your sin or your idol wants to distort that identity and lay claim to another identity over your life. Eve was identified by the consequence of her choice. She had to take on, she already had the best identity. Her identity was in the Lord. She was like God. But because she was introduced to a different line of thinking that pulled her attention and worship away from the creator, she now took on a new identity. I wonder how many people's identity is in jeopardy because of the idols that you're worshiping. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. I don't know whose I am. Could it be that you have things in your life that you are worshiping instead of the one who created you? The creator defines you. When we allow our identity to get wrapped up in these other things, we have all types of things that that spring up as symptoms of that. Pride comes. Rallying around success, rallying around getting rich because we've, because we've got to try to define ourselves and make ourselves look a certain way because we're striving so hard to like the identity we've been given by these idols. I had uh, lunch with my buddy, Josh McLeod. He'll be here in a few weeks speaking to us and, uh, this past week, and I was sharing with him how um, how just uh, how incredible it's been to have Pastor Ronnie in my life, and just walking the the, the way that that he just so transitioned this church so well. And I was just explaining all of those things to him, and I just said, you know, and, and I hope that he's. I, I said, I hope that Ronnie's proud of me. I hope that you know he's gone. And he said, you know, Kevin, one of the greatest things is that Ronnie loved you well before you were senior pastor at the church. And isn't it great to have somebody in your corner who actually loves you just because of who you are? Guys, God does the same thing. God does the same thing. He loves you because of who you are. It was never about your performance. It was never about anything you brought to the table. It was never anything that you made it about. It was just because of you. And you just being Idolatry distorts your identity. Idolatry denies God his glory. Idolatry denies God his glory. You were created to worship. We were created to worship. And guys, you become like what you worship. You take on the characteristics of what you worship. Now, maybe this might hit a little bit of home. Have you been sitting next to somebody and you don't like the person they become when they do X? I don't like the person you become when you watch that football game. I don't like the person you become when you're on Facebook. I don't like the person you become when you're around that group of people. I don't like the person you become whenever you're in that relationship. Do you notice that the characteristics and the outflow of what's going on in your life and the output is a reflection of what the input is? It's a reflection of what you're putting in? I don't like what's going on in your life when you're like that. 
The litmus test of whether you have an idol in your life is are you responding with the fruit of the Spirit? Are you responding with the fruit of the Spirit? Man, he sure does get angry. He sure does. He doesn't have patience. She doesn't, she doesn't show love or exhibit joy in that situation. Well, that may be an idol that needs to be removed. Only the spirit can birth spirit. The true spirit of God can birth spirit in our lives. Colossians 1 says this. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn all over creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You were created to worship. And here's what Colossians 3, 5 says, because I want to talk about a, a stem from here. Put to death, therefore, whatever, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Let's look at covetousness. Covetousness is an insatiable desire for worldly gain. In other words, Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. I need a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this. I need a whole lot of Jesus and a little bit of this. I need a whole lot of God, but God, I don't think you're making me very happy here. So I'm going to take also on a little bit of this. Covetousness is an idol. And some of us are carrying around that idol proudly. What God has given you is sufficient. It is enough. Lastly, idolatry denies God his glory. I just said that, didn't I? Oh, I wanted to, yeah, this is second point still. Achan, Achan, do you know the story of Achan? Achan, they have have just conquered Jericho. They've just conquered Jericho and they're excited because God has given them a word. They are stamped with his identity. They are worshiping the Lord. And Achan goes in after God said, everything that's theirs to be mine and Achan covets He covets and he goes in and he takes just something small. He just takes something small. Can you imagine for the thousands of people in that army, the one person took something small and God's hand of blessing was removed completely from the entire army. May I suggest to you today that as long as you worship idols, it affects other people as well. When you have idols in your life and you have things in your life that you're worshiping, the ripples affect other people. It's not just you. And lastly, idolatry robs you of joy. Idolatry robs you of joy. Idols never really give. They only take away. They only take away. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. Are you lacking love in your life, kindness in your life, peace in your life, gentleness in your life? What is in your life, what is in your life that's stealing that from you or, or not producing that? Because if you're in the light like he's in the light, then spirit is going to be birthing spirit in ways that you never expected it to. In the hard places where you don't want to be joyful, you're able to be the joyful and get there. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work. John 10.10 says this. 
The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we just stop there sometimes. We just talk about that, preach on that all day long. But there's another part of that verse. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Guys, God wants you to have life to the full. But what you have been confused by, what I have been confused by, is that the life he gives isn't as good as the life the world gives. And that is nothing further. There's nothing further than the truth to that. Only God gives us life to the full. There's nothing that this world has to offer. It might feel good for a moment, but it is not everlasting. He has life for all of us, life to the full. Idolatry robs you of your joy because it robs you of his presence. He is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. I remember I was in a dating relationship 2002 or something like that. And I found out after about eight months with being with this girl, she cheated on me. And I was in my apartment. And when I found out, I punched a wall. I, I, I mean, I punched a wall. And I can't even punch. Like, I don't even know how to punch. But I did that day. I punched a wall. And my hand was just, I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. I don't know if I, I want to say like I punched a hole through the wall, but then I'd be kind of like embellishing the story, you know, but I hurt my hand really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Jealousy makes you do some kind of outrageous things. What did God choose to do with his jealousy? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God's response to his jealousy for you was to give of himself. And in that, he's not going, he's not going to share the spotlight with the things you bring into it. And so, what is our response? Because if we're really honest with ourselves, everyone probably would raise their hand and say, Kevin, I've got at least one thing. There's that, there's that one thing. And if you're Kevin, you've got 20. So what's our response? Destroy those idols. Get them out of your life. But I've tried that before and it doesn't work. Work harder, work harder. Build, get the, knock those things down. Get them out of here. Put them under the rug. Destroy. I've tried that before and it just, it doesn't work. It's because you can't destroy what you've built. You can't do it alone. And so when you're tired of feeling the feeling, the consequence of your idols, you simply call out to him. And when you do that, all of a sudden the me becomes him. And he destroys your idols with four very simple words. Let there be light. Let there be light. Would the worship team come back? Pastor Barbie, you can bring up the lights. Pastor Barbie is going to come and she has a poem that she has written. And I would like her to share it with you. And um, after she shares it, I'll share some, one more thing with you. Several years ago, I was dealing with this 
issue in my own life and then we continue to deal with and uh, something in my life that God was done with and I wasn't done with. Isn't that the way it goes? Um, and I had tried so many things to just get free of, of, of obsessive thoughts and grasping things. You try to hold on. And uh, he took me one day to 1 Samuel 5, and it said, After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, and then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod arose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Thank you, God. They took Dagon, put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold and only his body remained. And I was so grateful because in that God was addressing the obsessive thoughts that we have when we are addicted to something or when we're holding on to something. And I loved that he took the head off to conquer the thoughts. I loved that he took the hands off because we are so grasping when we have idols. And then he gave me this. There is something about idols. They do not like to be displaced. If you set them aside, they will do all in their power to return to their rightful place. You can move them around the house, remove them from your sight. Still, there is a scheming idol in the house, and you can tell an idol to be quiet, but a screaming idol will not be silenced. Limit it, restrict it, hide it, try to control it. Bottom line, there is still an idol in your house. Call the idol a problem or an issue. Refer to it by any other name than idol, but by any other name, it's still an idol. There's something about an idol, something that always reveals its presence, even when it's hidden away, even when you have altered its appearance, even when you've instructed it to behave, idols cannot remain silent. They begin to cry out for worship, for attention. If an idol is in your house, it will call to you. They do not behave. They are not a quiet lot. Idols cannot be changed, altered, silenced, or displaced. Idols must be destroyed. They cannot cry for worship if they have no voice. How do you destroy an idol, especially an idol that's lived in your house for so long? Only one thing can take off the head of an idol so it cannot call to you. And only one thing can take away the hands that cling to you. And that is the presence of a holy God. The resident presence of God in the life of a consecrated believer. That's it. Period. Idols are destroyed in the presence of God. You've got idols, get God. Yeah. Let's get started. I started today by saying and believing that you were here for a reason. And so if we are aware that there are idols in our life, places in our life that we haven't given fully over to him, then we have a choice. We have a choice. And the choice is to continue down that road of trying to fill out the boundaries, falling into the pit, feeling those consequences or it's surrender 
and allow His light to come in and destroy those things so that you can be liberated like you've never been free, like you've never been liberated before. And so, while my flesh wants to apologize for this not being a goosebump, wonderful, fun word, I think it's a very necessary word because when we can illuminate these things, then we can celebrate. We can celebrate freedom. Would you guys stand with me this morning? We're gonna go back into the same song. We're gonna ask the Lord to open our hearts. We're gonna trust him. And uh, I'm not gonna ask people to come pray. What I'd like to do is open the altar space. There's a special anointing in the altar space to come that says, I declare God, I need a light in my life in this way, in this area. So we're just gonna worship for a few moments and allow the Lord to do some work. Let's worship.